broadcasting live from a swing and a miss. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm the real Asian Argyle, Garrett Strother. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm a completely CGI Garrett Strother, or something to that effect. <laughs> Put me in a little bubble backpack, carry me around <laughs> with you, Seamus. The strongest little bubble backpack to ever exist, apparently. Well, we will get more into that on our main segment, Argyle. First, we do have a couple of pieces of news, starting off with the frankly kind of devastating news that the incomparable, legendary Carl Weathers has passed away at age 76. He is such a great, versatile presence through so much different media. He could do comedy, he could do drama. Obviously, he's best known for one of the best characters ever, Apollo Creed. I don't think that's controversial to say. No, he is incredible as Apollo, and of course as Dylan in Predator. I yeah. think that he, in a, in a movie full of like jacked weirdos, he shines so bright in in that movie as well. I saw somebody point this out, and I never thought about it from this angle before. That really, in a lot of ways, Dylan is this same kind of company man, corporate presence that Burke is in Aliens, but Carl Weathers is just so jacked and charming that you do not <laughs> hate him the same way. I, I I'm not gonna lie, I, I was I was watching Predator this morning, Garrett, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he has this moment in that movie where he like does the big reveal about like what their mission actually is, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to explain it. It's like he has tears in his eyes for his best friend, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who he has had to betray. It's like such a genuinely moving like tr- snippet of this movie that they throw in there. Because everyone else is just like screaming and sweating. And it's not that Carl Weathers doesn't also scream and sweat in that movie, but it's he's so much gravitas in his performance as this agent guy. I, it's wonderful. He's, I think, best known to people now for his role on The Mandalorian as Mm. Grief Karga, which he also directed multiple episodes of. And, you know, even in those later seasons that we don't like so much, I think the episodes that he directs stylistically are at least standouts, which is saying something, I think. And I enjoy that character very much. I think even through season three, which I really didn't like, he is a standout that I'm still like, yeah, Grief Karga, I like when he shows up. Totally, totally. Big, big fan of him on there. I, I do, I do a Grief Karga impression more than a Carl Weathers impression, I feel. It, it's, <laughs> he, he's got great lines. His voice is so incredible in that one as well. Uh, I mentioned, God, there's so many things. I'm so sorry we're still going on Carl Weathers. No, the, why are you the, sorry? No, this is perfect. This is exactly uh, yeah. the celebration of him that he deserves. Yes, yes. I, I rec-centered the indie game, The Artful Escape, a couple months ago to mm-hmm. you, and he is one of the stars of that as well. Probably the some of the latest role that I've seen him in as, as Lightman in The Artful Escape, which I don't know if you ever checked that out, but he's damn good in it. I, I will someday. And maybe that'll move up on the list now. Uh, I also have to mention, I love him so dearly as Combat Carl from the Toy Story universe. I think he's so funny uh, as that character and brings a real (laughs) 
self-aware, tongue-in-cheek charm to it, very similar to kind of what he's doing on another outstanding performance, Arrested Development. I Yeah, if you weren't going to mention it, I was. Carl Weathers as Carl Weathers in Arrested Development. One of probably my favorite, like, running gag side characters that isn't one of the, like, main Bluth family. Absolutely incredible. And I, I quote, his uh, "Baby, you got a stew going" line probably once a week at the very least since I was like ten years old, and I watched those blockbuster DVDs of Arrested Development. Really, not somebody I had even considered the possibility of of passing. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, honestly, we saw him so you know recently and so often in The Mandalorian. I can only imagine they're gonna do a, a very sweet send off since he was. I mean, he's been. He's been part of the Mandalorian verse since episode one, you yeah. know, he he's a major character. I hope they, you know, they make a statue of him out there somewhere. Yeah, he is the reason we call it Mando Bros. He's the originator of Mando. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That is very true. Uh, the high magistrate himself. But our second piece of news here, uh, Hideo Kojima absolutely famed video game auteur has announced that he is working on a third original IP for Sony Interactive right now. Um, it was a very big... I, I was personally incredibly surprised that he's onto a third project already uh, that is being called Physint. P-H-Y-S-I-N-T. I uh, don't know what it means. He has only said that it's going to be in the action espionage genre and that it will come out in two years as a culmination of his 40 years in the video gaming industry. Uh, he also mentioned that it was going to be a weird mixed media uh, bridge in the gap between film and video games. I'm not really sure what that means, but I, if there's anybody to do some weird stuff like that, I trust him uh, over anybody else in, in that field. Well, that's the thing about Kojima is when I think Western game companies are like, we're going to make this this game like a movie. It either goes the like Until Dawn or mm. Uncharted or something route where it's much like it like it's yeah, it is. It's basically a, a big cutscene is the movie element of that. And Kojima, despite the fact that, I mean, obviously Metal Gear Solid 4 has, like, an eight-hour cutscene or whatever. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ. Not that he isn't interested in long cutscenes, but I think to him, he is so obsessed with making video games movies, but in a very cerebral way, not in a literal, like, oh, it's the, exp you know, you play Uncharted 4 and you're like, this is just like playing a Mission Impossible mm. movie. And he is so engaged with the the cinematic elements of storytelling that are expanded into what is still truly a video game most of the time with the things like Metal Gear and, and Death Stranding. Yeah, and that's why, you know, with him being more forthright with the idea of whatever he means by bridging that gap between those two media elements i i am sure it's going to uh be absolutely panned in america and probably <laughs> loved for all time in japan uh I, I i have a feeling it might be something more towards the quantum break angle of things mm -hmm. you remember that game mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if he would consider doing more of like a a regularly updated, hey, you have to watch this animated TV show before you play the next level of this video game. I'm truly not sure. But I do love that he has that patented Kojima smugness when he is like looking into camera saying he's making a brand new IP for the action espionage genre as if he didn't invent that genre mm-hmm. and perfect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right in the wake of Konami remaking his magnum opus, Snake Eater, which is supposed to come out this year somehow. I think it's ju- it's it's fabulous that he is just like, he knows what he's doing. He is the... He is the voice of God of that type of video game, and I think he's gonna be he's gonna be right back where he belongs. Absolutely, it's pre- it's pretty wild stuff. But with whatever Kojima stuff is on the horizon, Seamus, do you think you want to move in to our main segment this week? Let's do it. I think we've got plenty to talk about. For today's main segment, we're covering the new movie, Argyle, from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. I feel like this was the least twisted. And I, you know, twisted is also, I'm using that pretty lightly with the other Matthew Vaughn movies. But I was expecting a little bit more out of Argyle, I will say. I think I was maybe hoping for a little bit of redemption uh, from the last few Marv titles that mm-hmm. I didn't really love, you know? I still think that there was a lot of fun elements to this, and I have a lot of problems otherwise with kind of how the pacing of this movie felt and how... I mean, I don't know, I don't want to say that it was, like, really baby-stepping us through stuff, like, expecting us not to put every single quote-unquote twist together the second they try to lay it out there for you early on but you know maybe that's what some people need nowadays in a in a goofy action movie like this but i feel like we were we were really rolling our eyes a lot with each other kind of just like 10 steps ahead of the movie while it expected us to be like three steps behind yeah yeah i thought this movie was stupid and it's (laughs) it's action sequences there is no action sequence that is fully enjoyable. All of them have something where I'm like, man, I really wish this stupid part of this action sequence weren't in it. It is really no better than the trailer that we have been watching for the last seven months. And all that being said, I think this movie's better than most people are giving it credit for, to be entirely honest. I didn't hate it. Yeah, sure. I, I think I would throw this on. I would throw this on again. It's fun enough, you know, I I think, like you said, for every enjoyable element of this movie, there's a piece of it that isn't quite there for me. That's not to say we didn't laugh out loud at a couple key moments, or... Well, there were definitely points where you and I were laughing at the movie and not with the movie. Sure, yes. I think there, there was more moments like that than there were of us actually, like being in there with it with the characters but it was it was corny and it was fun enough it was very bright and colorful as they are want to do with this kind of brand of of action movie but 
the cat was distractingly animated. The mystery of everything didn't really click with me in the way... When we watched mystery things like the Hercule Poirot movies a couple months ago, and we were like, oh, well, they kind of laid out a mystery that doesn't even matter by the time you get to the answer for said mystery. Mm -hmm. This kind of felt like the exact opposite of that, where they were laying out like a thousand clues to a mystery that, even in the theater, I think we agreed that they could have revealed in the first act of the movie and it would have moved everything along in a less annoying way than they did yes it's trying too hard to be smart and i think if it had focused more of its energy on being interesting that that would have been proved the movie a lot this is going to be a weird one-two punch i think this movie probably should have been rated r because i thought that the bloodless toothless action was more of a chore than it was actually fun to watch mm. not that i need my violence to be super disturbing but i do think that this was just so just things happening on screen yeah at the same time though you were comparing it to matthew vaughn's last three films have been kingsman movies and it has been nice for you know almost a decade there's not been a matthew vaughn movie where i don't leave the theater feeling weird about some element of its problematic violence. That was a refresher. There's no mm -hmm. there's no church scene in this movie, which I appreciate. Yeah, I can stand with you there. It's that double-edged sword, you know? It, you don't feel as icky about the violence as you do in, in some of the previous work, but then, like you're saying, I was more distracted with the lack of blood and the lack of viscera. They're, like, tossing grenades at each other in this, you know? They're doing very, very brutal, head-crunchy, neck-snappy kind of things, and it feels... Not like anything is actually happening at all, you know? The action sequences, like you said, they turn into more of a examination of what's going on, of like, why are they doing it like this? Why is this so distracting? I, I'm, I'm more taken out of the action when it's the way that they edit it and they stage it like they do in this movie than anything else. I, I, was, I, I had high hopes for those action sequences, if I'm being honest, but they are very disjointed feeling, to say the least. And I read, I sent you this, I think, after we saw the movie, that he claims that this movie was really inspired by, by 70s and 80s action sequences, and that is just not true. You and yeah, I talked no about chance. this during The Beekeeper, where a lot of movies say that they're inspired by old school action sequences, but then you watch the movie and you're like, if that were true, there would be that anywhere on screen. I'll say that there were a few moments where... He did have, like, he would have one action beat or one camera move where it was almost like Spielbergian. And I was like, mm -hmm. wait, Matthew Vaughn, where is this in the rest of the action? Why is this entire movie seemingly shot on a green screen? And then there will be one shot where I'm like, whoa, that was cool. And you clearly built a set for that to be cool. And then, yeah, I just don't. I want. I wanted to like this movie more than I did. That being said, I think the reason that I am a little bit forgiving of it is I was really charmed by almost every performance in this movie. Specifically Sam Rockwell, who has been Hollywood's most undersung, like hardest working comedic relief super truly, charming truly. action boy not even action boy just just number one boy for so long who has an academy award but still doesn't have the career he deserves 
he's phenomenal in this. We were talking again during the beekeeper about actors who, who get to come in and do like a weirdo performance. And he's totally doing that in this. Yeah, definitely. If anything that the trailer promised us is true, it's, it's Sam Rockwell was going to be very funny and charming and fast and an interesting character to get to follow around for a while, even though for most of the time at, at least, I think you also said this, that it should have maybe just been the Sam Rockwell spy movie yeah. at, at, in the end of the day, because everything else seems to be distracting from the fun that we were having with him on screen doing fun, wacky spy shenanigans. Yeah, because Bryce Dallas Howard is not an actor I really have any affinity for. I don't dislike her. Kind of like her directing, I think she's usually just kind of competent, and she shows up and stuff, and I'm like, sure, Bryce Dallas Howard, you go ahead and do it. And she's doing things in this that I've never seen her do before, which I enjoyed, but I did not think that, especially when she's sharing most of her screen time with Rockwell, who's giving such a good performance, Mm. she was not doing a great job. That being said, I don't think this movie would have been really that much better if she were doing a great job. <laughs> it's not, yeah, exactly. There's there's more than a single misstep from from anything like that. It's it's kind of an amalgam of of messiness. It's it should have been more one direction than the other, but it seems like it wants to go in like three different directions for this movie. It, it confuses itself and. I felt like by the end, by really the end of everything, when the lights came up after the credits and everything, I, I just thought that it was mostly nonsense at, at, at a certain point. And it gets more and more nonsensical the later we get into the movie, which I think means that we should call official spoilers on Argyle. I, I guess my last thing is like, don't don't see this. Don't go see this. I wouldn't not recommend it, but just like, don't just wait till it's currently on not recommending. <laughs> I guess yeah. I guess stream it for free. I'll, let's leave it at that. Pre spoilers. Stream it for free. Um, but, I I know where I want to jump to. Please straight for spoilers, but I don't know if that's truly jumping the gun on literally the whole movie. Oh, are you going to talk uh, the post credit scene? Is that yeah? What you wanna, no, yeah, I, I think I we mean, have to. We have to. <laughs> We have to hold back, Seamus. I know, I know. Okay, all right. Let's talk then let's talk about one of my biggest problems and probably one of your biggest problems. The lack of mystery surrounding the fact that Bryce Dallas Howard is in fact Agent Argyle. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's very clear. I said the I said this a week before this movie came out is that it's going to be her and that her novels are her spy life leaking out into her whatever. And then they drag that out for the whole movie like we don't know exactly what's happening. And then they don't really have a ton of fun with it when they finally do reveal it in the third act. I I felt a little robbed that the only thing where that actually mattered was the music box thing where we get our now and then yeah. music box version. Oh, we didn't even talk about now and then. Yeah. Mercy. <laughs> I, that's maybe my biggest problem with this movie that she has been canonically Ellie Conway for five years and sam rockwell is listening to a beatles song from november of 2023 and going this was our song five years ago so either this movie is set in 2028 at the earliest or apple is so all consumed with their own product placement (laughs) that they can't even separate out reality yeah the timeline is askew in this movie apparently or when's the last time 
anybody was ever like, oh, this brand new song, it's our song now. Like what? Like, and that's at the very earliest that it could be. So yeah. it feels it feels strange at that. And the fact that there's five different versions. There's the there's the music box version. There's the mm-hmm. real regular version. There's the sweeping orchestral version. There's the sad version that's I, in a minor key. Yeah, I like evil. sad piano version. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, when she does the very blatant evil spy fake out. Oh, uh, yes. And, and shoots him with... She's a perfect marksman shooting him through the two-inch hole between his arteries, which is basically like saying, don't worry... You'll be fine when I shove this tamping iron through your brain because, like, Phineas Gage was just got lobotomized <laughs> when that happened to him. Uh, what do you mean? It's totally medically accurate. So Rockwell can run around and do fist fights <laughs> with a hole through his chest, like, oh. totally normal. And, I mean, like, if the rest of the movie hadn't been so frustrating, I honestly would probably give it a pass for that. But it's just so... Because that, we get our really single funny moment of Sam Rockwell jamming, like, five adrenaline needles into himself <laughs> to be like, all right, okay, let's see, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, did, I did like that. Uh, yeah, because there are moments in this that do work, but I think that the way that the... The way the movie is already so egregiously disrespecting the audience's intelligence to then shoot its romantic lead, Sam Rockwell, in the heart. And you know when that happens, that's not real. And you're like, okay, what clever way is it going to be not real? But no, it's not even a not clever way. It's just a stupid cop-out way that he's still alive and they still get to have the beat where you think she's evil or whatever by the way there is a good version of being able to do the your mundane normal female character is really a sleeper agent and it's called long kiss goodnight they already made that movie with gina davis and sam jackson it was written by shane black you know the whole movie pretty much that she is like it's not like some big midpoint twist it is Something that you're that you're like slowly unraveling with her and going on a journey with her. I want to know if Sam Jackson went to Matthew Vaughn and was like, you know, this is just long kiss goodnight, except you, you, you <laughs> like you're not doing the twist, right? Like, right. Oh God, I I can only hope that they were aware enough. And maybe it was like, was it the marketing that made us feel like we were supposed to not understand who Argyle was, or was it just like we? They tell you in the first 20 seconds she's on screen. They're like, are you a spy? No, I'm not a spy. But maybe I am a spy. That's what a spy would say. Ha 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 ha. Christ, yeah. I mean, even... Even when the she's doing like the Zoom call on her Apple computer, you know, of course, specifically with, with her iPhone and her iPad uh, and dude. her MacBook and her iMac, and I'm and watching Mission about... Impossible Four all of a sudden with how many? Apple <laughs> yeah, oh my god! They talk about Steve Jobs like three times in this movie. Girl, who's so... gonna be the next Steve Jobs? Ariana DeBose deserves better than whatever's going on in this movie. But you yeah, were saying I... something. You were making a point I about mean... her FaceTime call. <laughs> Yes, with uh, with her mom, and she's, like, even then, where she's like, you've got to finish the next chapter. Like, well, I was like, oh, I get, okay, got it. This is a suspicious uh, line of questioning that I should not trust at all right now. I mean, you seem to get got with the Brian Cranston I, thing. I was trying to give <laughs> the movie the benefit of the doubt in a way that I probably shouldn't have been. This will actually probably lead us, unfortunately, into the post credit scene. This is what I thought <laughs> oh, I'm I, about to embark on. I might have a, 
an extra segue to tack on there. Oh, great. Let, I'll let you know. This movie is full of reveals that there has not been enough clear, or in some cases, any legwork done through the preceding beats of the movie to actually give you clarity about what's going on. So when Brian Cranston walks in that door as her dad, it's like, is he really her dad? Like, he intentionally put his daughter under as, as a sleeper agent? Is he posing as her dad? Catherine O'Hara seems to be in on it, but then why is she, like, trying to rush him away from the code book that he's blinking twice like Jeremy Renner to capture <laughs> the, the pages of, again, like Mission Impossible 4? That's probably the twist that makes, other than the really obvious She's Agent Argyle twist, that also takes, like, four scenes to fully unravel, and which is, again, just really condescending to the audience. Yeah, but if then, anything, it should have been the opposite, where it's like, we know that he is her dad, maybe, kind of like Catherine O'Hara, and then it's revealed later that he is the big bad guy with the fish tank full of crude oil. Exactly. Oh, so, I don't understand what's going on <laughs> in his office at all. In his um, secret layer inside of an uh, oil tanker, you yeah. know, you've got to have a window to your oil tanker, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, he's going to start singing, do you have a sweet tooth while revealing his big <laughs> chocolate vat. <laughs> By the way, his his scene where he kills Rob Delaney with the shotgun, you and I discussed during the movie. If that were in a movie where it were taken seriously and shot well, the performance mm. he's giving is like an Oscar-worthy villain. I want to see Brian Cranston do that exact Absolutely. shotgun scene in like an Untouchables mob movie. Growling, evil Cranston is like top tier for sure in this. He is genuinely intimidating for a while until I feel more exhausted about his involvement than anything. Yeah. Well, until he starts being her fake dad and doing Ron from 30 Rock. <laughs> I I mean, he really, he does this, like, trembling thing in the part where Sam Rockwell catches back up with them, where I was like, he unlocked a, a Malcolm in the Middle box that has not been dusted off in 25 years. Uh -huh. And it was, it was crazy to see... And then they, you know, and then they do the whole everyone's evil thing. And then I'm yeah. just like, I, the how is lost. Going back to twists that don't make sense. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. The final moments of the movie before the credits are Ellie Conway doing her, I mean, it's just like the end of Romancing the Stone. Like the new book that's based on the adventure that she went on. It's a huge success and everybody loves it. And it's exactly the same press conference from the beginning of the movie. And everybody's in their exact same seats. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are. And then we've been seeing Henry Cavill as Agent Argyle in the books throughout the whole movie, including really distractingly during action sequences where he's green screened in over Sam Rockwell, which I really hated. Um, yeah, yeah, the blinking transitions a hundred times a minute in those fight <sighs> scenes were were what I was referencing pre-spoilers and how absolutely distracting that got. Yeah, absolutely. But then Henry Cavill, who seems to have been slightly decaviled in that scene, his face looks a little weird and he looks smaller than Henry Cavill actually is. It's very weird because he's like, I think you might have some questions for me. Okay, Shams, talk to me about what you think it implies that Agent Argyle, the, the, yeah, the face of Agent yeah. Argyle is on a real man at Ellie Conway's books reading. <laughs> uh, okay, well, it's hard to think about because you have to imagine that it's someone from R. Kyle's past. Yeah. 
that in my head that I've been trying to think about it, it's some sort of in her blackout couple of years or maybe previously to her blackout couple of years, she maybe worked with some statesmen perhaps if if that is any kind of connection i mean honestly it doesn't make sense so to try to argue my way into how any of this will work uh it makes about as much sense as the post credit scene reveal that somehow the kingsmen are in or are adjacent to the universe of argyle and i i'm not sure how to really get into that more is the Kingsman a fake organization? Are the Kingsman movies uh, in a different universe than something like Argyle? Or did she write into existence the Kingsman as a secret agent service into her? I I'm not. I don't even know. I don't even know. What do you? What do you? Oh yeah, I guess this? that's an interesting question that I hadn't even like. There's 14 different layers to this that are all confusing because I guess the Argyle books are literally what has happened in the world of the Argyle movie, Mm -hmm. then that means that if she's writing about the Kingsmen, she is presumably doxing the existence of the the real-life, quote-unquote, Kingsmen organization. And you caught that there was some statesman Easter eggs sprinkled through the movie. So the Argyle, at least, the Argyle in the, the books at least, was recruited 20 years ago, as the title card says, as a Kingsman. But does that mean she has any involvement with the Kingsman? Does that mean that That's the Henry exactly. Cavill from the end of the movie is a Kingsman? The existence of a, like a real-aged Argyle that looks like Asian Argyle then also really muddies the whole she's Asian Argyle thing, because what does it mean that, that she has taken this guy's visage and put it over yeah, herself? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's so confusing and i think that we were supposed to be distracted enough by this being a secret tie into kingsman that we weren't supposed to think about it too hard because you're right it implies that in because the last thing we see at the end of that post credit scene is book one the movie implying that in the argyle first book she is writing about the kingsman as if the young henry cavill ah god yeah so and then also young henry cavill's character is wearing sam rockwell's shirt in that yeah. flashback too which also just throws in another layer of why is this happening another reveal quote-unquote that doesn't make sense is Sam Rockwell, who she thinks the whole movie is, like, the inspiration for Argyle, is really the inspiration for John Cena's character. But then we're going back to, like, oh, but, well, what you see in the book, Argyle is wearing his, like, Sam Rockwell's shirt, not John Cena. (laughs) There should have been more John Cena in this movie, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, Um, yes, sir. He's in, like, three scenes, and I enjoyed him in all three of them. I would way rather just watch... The Argyle the John Argyle Cena fantasy. universe. Yeah, I would rather watch that movie than whatever is going on in the rest of this movie because it fluctuates back and forth between something more akin to like an older Matthew Vaughn movie and then like a Kingsman movie. Mm-hmm. But then it's also sometimes like this weird Guy Ritchie movie, which they're buddies, so that kind of makes sense. But the fact that it didn't culminate in having that romantic gunfight be with henry cavill and john cena like caressing each other Uh and dancing down a smoky hallway that's a crime like what the hell are we even doing in this movie which it it seems uh... like they had the idea for and filmed 
the after credits scene tie-in before they had anything else planned, and that's why it feels so out of place. I just don't get this movie at all. I, I want either. to... If it had just been a straightforward, stupid little action movie, even with all of the problems I have with, like, half of every action sequence I liked, I liked the parts of Sam Rockwell fighting people on the train, but I didn't like it constantly intercutting oh, with... God. Henry Cavill, I didn't like the smoke hallway fight at first, but then when it came into them, like, dancing more, doing the Whirly Bird callback from the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm a little bit more into this. When the hockey ice skating <laughs> ice on crude oil God, is babe. happening, it's mostly just really dumb, and the, it's a CGI everything, like, just whipping around but then there are a couple little beats where you're like oh that's actually kind of fun i just i just don't know i seamus it's a ball of ideas that don't have enough good ones to outweigh the bad ones yeah. i i guess we're getting sequels to argyle well, whether we want with, them or not it's gonna make like nine million dollars opening weekend or something so i don't think we are uh, but, like, you don't think they're going to bring in Bryce Dallas Howard as an after-credits teaser at, in a Kingsman sequel somewhere? Or well, it makes me wonder if, is this why we've been waiting so long for whatever the third actual Kingsman is going to be? Oh, for sure then, yeah. I, I bet that is actually a very good guess right there. I mean, everything about the, the mullet Henry Cavill involved, it's just... Not only is it confusing and messy, it's just confusing and messy enough to cram it into another sequel somewhere. As, like, even if it was, like, the B story of a more eggsy-focused Kingsman. Well, I, the idea of Channing Tatum and Henry Cavill just beating dudes down in a Kingsman movie... It would be I a contest would... to see how many times, like, who could reload their arms the most exactly. in that movie. That would be incredible. I would watch that. I would, you know, that's, again, there's so many movies that this movie could have been that I would have been like, that was great. <laughs> oh my and God, yeah. as it stands now, I, again, it, it, it wasn't, like, offensive enough for me to hate it. I just didn't get it. I just don't, I don't know what it was trying to be. I don't know if it knows what it was trying to be. I know that Sam Jackson is doing the most overacting he has ever done in his, in his entire oh. life, and I love him for it. <laughs> it was he's pretty great, I will say. He's like doing pappy. He's like, what did he's I say? So... What did I lean over to you and say? Like, welcome to the rural France Kingsman or something when he showed <laughs> so, up, something like that. I mean, just having having a fist fight on the like the climactic fist fight on the oil barge, and then cutting back it just continuously cutting back to reaction shots of <laughs> sam jackson reacting to the the loading bar in his vineyard uh -huh. hilarious truly we were like we were the only people laughing that loud i'm sure other people were amused but we were like we were busted up i don't think the six other people in our theater were really into this movie not that but we you... were into it but <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think that we were maybe the most into it because i think you and i at least laughed sometimes like every time sam rockwell did something we were like that's pretty good that sam rockwell did that yeah pretty much it, we would get brought out of it entirely and then we get dragged back in by sam rockwell or sam jackson evil Catherine o'hara is super fun i wish they did more with that concept Evil british Catherine o'hara yeah i enjoyed brian cranston in this again i enjoyed john cita and henry cavill in this i mm -hmm. wish they had had more to do ariana debose uh, it has really genuinely nothing to do 
but like not even metaphorically she's in like <laughs> maybe a minute or two of screen time total well she dies in the argyle book at the very beginning and then she shows up in literally the end of the third act to deus ex machina them away from the, the exploding, exploding oil, oil tanker ship. And, the, and we don't even get to see John Cena and Henry Cavill kiss as they ride it to no. the sunset, which is like, what What? What the hell? What like, was you that set it up, movie? why not knock it down? Yeah, exactly. If you're building up to this idea of they are kissing on the boat, but then John Cena and Henry Cavill aren't kissing on the boat, and I don't know, I don't know whether they were afraid of alienating. I don't know who this movie's for, also. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, the six other people, like you were saying in our theater, average moviegoers were probably like, like entertained but probably fairly bored with this like what is there for anybody really it's just action sequences that leave a lot to be desired and a very messy written mystery globetrotting script that could have been pretty much entirely scrapped if they rewrote that reveal but we're not even harping on smaller things that i have real problems with because there's so much just fundamentally wrong with this movie yeah it's hard to zero in on like the cat looks weird the whole time uh-huh. or you know there's a there's a hacker guy that doesn't matter or whatever oh yeah i forgot about there's oh like, man they really good... try to make us care about that hacker yeah. guy i forgot about that like they spend a very good portion of the first act like try to track down this hacker guy for answers and then he's just fully been dead the whole time and hasn't mattered to begin with anyway it's it's annoying it's a bizarre film that I don't really have any intention to revisit, and I'm very curious about what, if anything, will come of its setups for <laughs> se- seemingly several different things. A yeah, sequel, man. Uh, a, a Kingsman tie-in, maybe a spin-off that is set both in the Kingsman and Argyle universes. Whatever, whatever is going on, I don't know if it will ever see the light of day, but I, I mean... It was a fine time at the movies <laughs> at the end of the day. I I said this to you mere seconds before the after credit scene <laughs> Kingsman reveal. I said this is the third best Kingsman movie, and then now that that now that I've had time to think about it, it is the fourth best Kingsman movie. I think I put on the Kingsman before I put on Argyle again, and that is an insane thing to say. Again, it's less problematic than the Kingsman, but I think in most other... Because at least the Kingsman has a twist that interests me. And that, that was another thing I said walking out of the theater. If this is somehow a way to make the Kingsman less wacko alt-history problematic where it is somehow a fictionalization within a different spy movie, then mm-hmm. maybe that has some legs to go on to, to fix a few problems. But that is yet to be seen. They, they've only added more to the fire, I would say. I, I agree with you. But why don't we go ahead and move on over to today's pop culture reference where we break down how literally they could have picked any Beatles song that's not the one that they picked for this movie and been in the clear. Oh, let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be taking a look at the posthumous Beatles releases. In the 10 years following the breakup of the Beatles in 1970, no additional Beatles songs were released. However, after John Lennon's assassination in 1980, there have been a few tracks officially released by the remaining members of the group. As a response to Lennon's death, 
George Harrison rewrote his song all those years ago to pay tribute to Lennon and collaborated with the other remaining living band members. Ringo Starr played drums on the track, with Paul and Linda McCartney providing backup vocals. In 1994, McCartney, Harrison, and Starr began work on the Beatles Anthology Project, which produced a docuseries and CD box set which contained several previously unreleased recordings. Part of this project involved taking demos recorded by John Lennon and having McCartney, Harrison, and Starr add new instrumental and vocal tracks, creating the two new Beatles songs, Free as a Bird and Real Love. A third Lennon demo, Now and Then, was also worked on during this process, but the audio quality was deemed too low to be salvaged with the technology available. However, almost 20 years later, Now and Then would be revisited by McCartney and Starr. During the production of Peter Jackson's Get Back in 2021, McCartney specifically requested the use of the AI-aided tech that was being used on the archival footage to separate Lennon's vocals from the Now and Then piano track that was previously deemed impossible. With the cleaned-up vocals now fully at the disposal of Starr and McCartney, and Harrison's isolated guitar from the previous work done on the song in 1994, the Beatles released their very last song as a complete band in November of 2023. And you know what? I think it's a pretty good song. The reason we're doing this for the pop culture reference is because this song is featured very prevalently in this week's main segment, Argyle. And I did lean over to you during the movie and I was like, I do think that of all of the songs that have been released since the death of John Lennon, this is definitely the one that the, that's the most like, yeah, I can hear this being as good as a Beatles song. Yeah, definitely. I, I enjoy Now and Then a lot, actually. I think it's very interesting, the kind of the process, the long, long process that it went through to finally be released. And uh, I really only get a little weirded out when I watched the music video version because yeah, I... they, like, AI, CG add in George and John, which is very strange. But the song itself is actually kind of a jam and, and very, very Beatlesy. Yeah, don't care for the music video. I will maybe watch Get Back at some point. Like, you, I'm interested in the process of Now and Then, but we'll take the song more than I, I care about any of that other auxiliary stuff. Plenty distracting in Argyle, uh, if I'm being honest, the amount that it is featured. But, you know, again, it's an Apple movie, so it makes sense that they're going to use all the tools that they have here. Mm -hmm. Apple in more than one way. Oh, yes, very true. Why don't we go ahead and save the rec center? Let's do it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec recommendations. Seamus, what's on your docket? I was talking about it up top with the passing of Carl Weathers. Predator... Uh, the 1987 classic action movie. I truly think, I, I was thinking about it while I was rewatching it. I think it's maybe the movie I've seen the most in my life. I, wow. I, I'm sure Star Wars is up there. I'm sure Indiana Jones is high up there, like the, like the real childhood stuff. But in my adult life, I, I can go back to Predator literally any day of the week i could watch it today and then i could go see you later today and watch it again probably because i just think it's one of the perfect entertainment movies it's not too long it's not you know crazy complicated like the lore of predator stuff gets in the later parts of the franchise but it is peak 
peak Arnold, peak Carl Weathers, honest to God. He is so jacked and interesting and acting his heart out in this movie. It, it's phenomenal. It's got quite the cast, and I mean, obviously, we we are McTiernan fellas as well, so I think that's that's a good rec center, Seamus, and I'm willing to second. Oh, and I'm sure, I guarantee to you, this is maybe like the second or third time I've fallen back on Predator, but I think now more than ever, people need to do themselves a favor, take some time for yourself, heal a little bit, go watch Predator. But what do you have to save the rec center this week? Well, we're keeping it Carl over here on Pop Culture Reference, <laughs> and I am going in kind of the opposite direction and rec-centering the unparalleled performance of Carl Weathers in his first of multiple renditions of this character, Toy Story of Terror, the introduction of the Carl Weathers version <laughs> of Combat Carl. This is the Toy Story Halloween special. You can find it, of course, on Disney+. Plus. And it's Jesse-centric. It's a very fun little genre riff with Jesse as the main character, Stephen Tobolowski as the insidious motel keeper, and Combat Carl, played by Carl Weathers, just doing a tremendous job. I laughed the entire time when this first aired back in, like, 2013 or 2014 whenever it came out and i still watch it most halloweens unless i'm mistaken unless i'm misremembering this character combat carl is directly based on carl weathers's character dylan in predator right? absolutely like he's got yeah. the same getup and yeah it's i i remember you showed me the toy story of terror i loved it too i i often forget about those great shorts but this is one that i i remember very well it is just like you said, a really fun little genre twist on, on our Toy Story friends. And God bless Carl Weathers. He, he just does everything 110%. He, he kills it in that, too. He's the man. He's the man. That wraps things up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show on social media, on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, you can find us at PCR underscore podcast. Email us directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and engage with us on whatever platform you listen. It really helps the show out. Next week, both in anticipation of the new Donald Glover, Maya Erskine, Mr. and Mrs. Smith television series, and the fact that it is going to be the week of Valentine's Day, we will be covering the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie action romp. I don't know. I've never seen it, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> it's been long enough that I haven't seen this that it'll pretty much be a brand new movie to me. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what we come to, uh, what our thoughts will be next week. Argyle does seem kind of the bridge between the Romantic the Stone and the oh. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Interesting. I, you're not wrong. Maybe we'll 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 see if we can sniff a little bit of that out when we uh, when we take a look this week. But yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out about it next week. Adios, amigos. Mm-hmm.